It's funny that you say that because my nose is also draining like crazy. My allergies that are killing is me. Good to know. It's funny that you both say that because mine's not. Oh man, damn it, Cookie with his better genes. Higgs, Ugh. yeah, bred for greatness. This is bullshit. You're still the robot was, on this podcast. We can't. I was, like you can't fool us into thinking that you have genes. <laughs> but it's a bug. Either way, I've got a bug. It's either it's either a literal one or or I guess not a literal one. They're both literal. It's like either one of them is a software issue or it's a hardware issue. But it's definitely a bug. Nice. Oh, um. So Lizzie built her first character yesterday in D and D for the campaign Ooh. that I'm going to be running. Mm-hmm. And then um, her brother. Wait, 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 wait. One more. One more time. You're running a campaign? That's mm-hmm. correct? Yes, I, I remember this now. I'm so excited. So Lizzie builds her character. Then Chris and Amy, Lizzie's um, brother and his wife, start thinking about how to build their characters. And by the time they uh-huh. leave at midnight, they've decided on kind of what they're going to be. And my um, fourth Beckman, I was like, okay, so what are we missing? Just looking at the three, the three characters that we have out of the three or four. Right, and he's going to play a Phil. Yeah, he's, um, so we were missing both a tank and a healer. Dragonborn Paladin, baby. Yeah, Paladin, right? So Have he... that lizard lay hands. Nice. So yeah, so he's, um, he's rolling a tankish healer. I'm not sure what he's doing, but he can wild shape, so I'm thinking it's a druid. Mm, yeah, probably so. You're going to know more about D&D than me by the next time we play. Every time I come over, you're watching some, like, how to build a super troll thing in D&D. Mm-hmm. But now that you're the game master, dungeon master, are you using that information to try and foil any plots at doing that? Or are you embracing the identity of the troll? Um, I don't think anyone's going to try and derail my campaign, not like me trying to derail Scott's. And... <laughs> Except it, mine's so loosey-goosey with the rules that it can never be derailed, just redirected. Exactly. And then the, the campaign I'm going to be running is just going to be a prefab right now. I forgot what it was called. I've got the book upstairs. Are you recording, Scott? I'm always recording, Neil. Meaning that you was, just started recording. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? There's no pause in my audio. It is June 3rd, 2018. This is episode 69 of Fancy Ramen. I'm Woo! Neil. I'm Cookie. What are you excited about? And I'm There's Scott. no reason to be excited, Scott. This is our sexiest episode yet, and it has nothing to do with the number. I just happen to be recording shirtless. If there's anything I learned from church, it was that missionary is the only way to conceive. It's not the only way to have fun, Neil. Nope. It's, it's the only way. And for those of okay. us unfortunate enough to... Uh, not have use of our legs, then there is also cowgirl, but you have to be in Texas. <laughs> okay. Hi, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I, I had to get that juvenile joke in there because it was uh, our one and only opportunity. What but about 169? I don't think that that really counts. What does that really imply? That there's a bystander who's upright? Yes. See, I think the only other way that this really goes down is that we start a new podcast, record 68 more episodes to get to the opportunity again. So I thought it's now or never. Or 169 could be the act of 69 right next to a wall. Oh, that's true. And then 1,691 is the act in a hallway. (laughs) 
Wow. Oh man, I hope I hope we get to those numbers someday. Cuz I'll make sure to to call back to that joke then. Um, what have you guys been up to this week? I cleaned a lake house, kind of. We chopped down some trees, we deweeded some things. I was an outside slave. My back hurts. Is that why your wife is doing yard work right now and you're inside doing nothing? Correct. Except talking on this glorious podcast correct that is why my wife is outside doing yard work i was helping her a little bit earlier today trimmed up some bushes but you know it's been a it's the yard work time it finally hit spring after you know two weeks of summer (laughs) you you went summer to spring and you'll get another dash of summer before you hit fall knowing nebraska we'll get you'll get a couple couple cycles of that that's true we'll we'll do summer spring summer spring summer winter yeah and then (laughs) winter Winter is just that hailstorm that happens in the middle of June that nobody's expecting. We had one of those. We had one of those. It was so bad. I had to lock the door to the back area of my work because the wind was strong enough to blow it open, even though it was shut. And I didn't know that that could really happen when a door is like shut flush with a wall. So that was pretty impressive. In my last rental, the wind was so strong, it blew open a glass door and shattered it. And that's uh, pretty scary. One of my roommates you at sure the time you didn't have was, a ghost? Well, I'm glad you go there because my roommate at the time was concerned it was the FBI or CIA. <laughs> Excuse me. Couldn't be either I, one. I was hoping you were going to say was concerned it was a ghost. <laughs> Ghosts aren't real, by the way. I just thought I'd pitch that out there. That's the official podcast position. That's your official podcast position. Yeah. Robot. Yeah. Yeah, well, those are a lot more real than ghosts. Touche. Um, Touche. So Cookie's been doing yard work. Neil has been reliving past memories of storms affecting his homestead. I've, I've also been, been uh, enjoying new random things. Uh, in particular, I tried out the Starbucks cold brew. How is it? It's 300, 300, excuse me. I, I guess technically 349 cents of disappointment in a bottle. Um, oh, is it, do you buy it from Starbucks or is it a commercial product available at retailers near you? You can get it at Target. That's that where I usually one, see it. Except I'm not getting okay. a paycheck for this commercial. And rightfully so, uh, because I'm not adverti- or endorsing it, it is really weak and i just managed to down most of the bottle like during this preamble of podcast but the one thing i can talk about very excitingly is i picked up some soylent Ooh, are you guys guys familiar soaking your beans in the soylent yeah i'm familiar with it i just haven't tried it myself i am not familiar with it it's a meal replacement drink and uh not to be mistaken for like protein shake or anything like that either uh, but I've been eating pretty poorly at work, and I just haven't had time. Like if if I want to if I want to do things that are fun, and not do meal prep for seven days on a Sunday, I've found that I tend to eat more fast food and other terrible things. So I picked up a case of Soylent 2.0 to see if that would help me uh, get off of the fast food bandwagon or whatever train. So it's just a drink that has the calories and basic like nutrients from a meal that you need, correct? And did you get 
something flavored or just the straight up flavorless? I got the cocoa this time. You are correct. It includes things like fats and oils that you would otherwise not find in most nutrient or nutrition shakes or things like Ensure. It also has way less sugar than something like Ensure. Right. So So would it actually fill you up though? I had one for dinner last night since we were recording our first uh, session of Detroit Become Human at Keith and Keith, John and Bucks. And I was satisfied. I did not need anything else that night. So uh, we'll see how it works at work when I have like the real the real temptations of a candy jar just three feet away from me and that sort of thing. But I'm hopeful so far. Yeah, candy jars are a terrible source for really any sort of food need. You just have to remind yourself of it, Neil, and drink your flavorless slap shake. It actually doesn't taste too bad. Like, if you told me it was actually people, I think I'd be okay with it. That's good to know. Uh, What about you, Scott? What have you been doing this week? I have had a very exciting and eventful week so far. Um, Today will be my most boring day, probably after recording the podcast, because I was so active yesterday that my leg hurts enough that I'm like... Deciding to stay indoors in a sedentary position for the remainder. I hiked for about 10 miles yesterday. And before that, I played um, a match and a half of tennis against Sierra before she went to work. Real tennis? I've been real tennis because Mario Tennis Aces inspired me to get back out on the court and crush there as well. And <laughs> we, can, we can get into Mario Aces um, once we get to our game talk. Uh it's probably going to be too late to let people know by the time this comes out that the tournament is happening from the 1st to the 3rd. Oh, today is the 3rd. Yeah, it's going to be way too late by the time this releases. Anyway, played tennis, went on a 10-mile hike, uh, hiked to the top of a mountain, which was pretty cool, and then started descending from the mountain, and after progressing maybe another 1,000 feet, realizing that my leg was very tired and strained. And so I limped back the remainder of the hike, um, which was still the like remaining five miles or so. Let's see. I'm restoring the, uh, I'm restoring an old hatchet that belonged to my dad's grandfather. And so that's been fun too. I haven't actually worked with um, tools and chemicals in in like a garage based setting in a while and so that's been nice and then to further add to my handyman skills i purchased a bike like a used bike in town and using another bike that was sort of a hand-me-down i created a really high quality franken bike that uses parts from each one and one of the bikes was already a franken bike so really i don't know how many different components of different bikes ultimately went into my final ride but um i built a bike technically i'm proud of you yeah i feel like i've been very productive this week which is great um do you feel like that bike has been able to maintain its identity uh, the best thing about the identity of this bike is that uh, my snowboard, for those of you who uh, have never gotten to see the bottom design to it, is a snowboard that's manufactured by Sierra. And so the bottom just says Sierra in really like bright neon letters. 
and I like my I like all of my objects to be matching in one way or another. So my girlfriend and my snowboard match, and the bike that I bought, I only realized later that the it's a Schwinn Sierra model, so it also has Sierra on it, and <laughs> therefore I'm going to buy a Sierra truck sometime in the near future and just like completely outfit everything in my life with with that name on it. Are you also going to play a bunch of Sierra games? Oh, those are the point-and-click adventures, correct? Uh, Most among, of them are. Among other things, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something, something Monkey Island, I'll play that. The last thing I did was read up on some important information. I talked about the GDPR last time. I did not add the most important qualifier, which... I'm assuming the majority of our audience is in the United States. And unfortunately, the GDPR is only enforceable within the EU. So although you're getting warnings about all of these improved practices by companies, there's really no guarantee that any of it applies to us in the States here. So sad face on that. A good amount of... Okay, okay. I should not say a good amount of companies, but at least the companies I've uh, been getting updates on are trying to apply the policy universally. But luckily I have an on good information that we're Croatia's favorite video game podcast. So they were not that, led astray. That is excellent news. <laughs> Story? No. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, 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 just objective fact. But video games, uh, what have you guys been up to lately? I finally got to enjoy some long, dark, survival mode again it's been a very long time but i've returned to the cold and frosty wilderness of northern canada and since i've played there's a lot of stuff that's either currently updated or being updated in the future for a patch that should come out at the end of this month from what hinterland studio says but no guarantee on that of course They've been really, I think, revamping and reworking a lot of things from getting a ton of critical and negative feedback since the launch of the story mode. Um, the most recent patch, which happened, I think, back in February, and I haven't touched the game until very recently, so I haven't gotten to experience too much, has added the most essential component to any Canadian game, moose. That's right. We have moose, finally. Sweet, most um, dangerous animal in the world. They are the most dangerous um, non-predatory species in the long dark, which is true pretty much in any case of what animal you put in there. So moose are finally in, which is wonderful. They have really upped the customizability of the survival mode that actually makes it fun and feel a little more fair for people who find that the four categories uh, of difficulty were not really satisfying their needs or wants in the survival sandbox. You can customize almost any element about weather from its severity to its frequency to some other factors like weather getting progressively worse over time. Um, you can adjust a lot of metrics about animals, which animals spawn at what frequency. Um, is there a grace period for wolves within the first 24 hours? There's a large number of frequency and severity options for just about everything in the game, as well as some nice uh, tweaks that are very specific to those categories. So I gave some for like weather and animals. You can have Aurora Borealis, for instance, which in this game has an effect of making electronics work uh, for that limited period of time. 
making indoor exploration easier because you don't necessarily need to use a light source. Why does Aurora Bo- uh, Borealis provide like electricity to objects that would otherwise not work? Magic. It's the premise of the game is like a geomagnetic event is what's caused the whole uh, situation in the first place. And so this is also part of uh, canon bullshit that Aurora Borealis is somehow a manifestation of these geomagnetic forces and geomagnetic forces somehow charge the batteries in your electronics to make them work or something like that. Um, That's so weird. I thought he just ran into a really bad storm and then crashed. Can, yeah, can it but occur? that storm was invisible geomagnetism. And so, his plane wasn't very good because it looks like it was made out of paper. So can can that occur inside of your kitchen after serving your boss steamed hams? <laughs> Unfortunately, your boss is frozen to death, but otherwise it would be entirely possible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the customizability of this has made it so survival can be exactly the experience you want. Uh, whether you want a punishingly hard difficulty and you, you move all those sliders up, but there is maybe one or two elements that exist in the standard game modes that you just really don't like, like the uh, progression of winter into more and more severe conditions. You can go ahead and make a custom game mode like this. The one thing that I will note is they don't have a reset slider that pretty much resets everything to like a base or uniform state. And so once you've toggled with the menu options, you have to go down a very long list to uh, decide what items you want to change. And it's also, once you've made all those changes, it's probably pretty difficult to remember what the standard settings were for them. Um, I read a couple more notes by the uh, development team at Hinterland with their most recent post that they're going to make the story mode less linear. So that's good news for Cookie and I, not that we'll ever go back to play the story mode again, but instead of 15 to 20 hours of a scripted linear progression that's a bunch of not fun, terrible uh, pickup gameplay, they're going to have it much more open so you can start deviating from the set path much earlier in the game which is nice for anybody who will start playing the story mode i think um picking up the game from the next patch later goals that they have for the team are uh adding real-time cooking so you actually have to put things on stoves and not interact with like a uh, quick event menu and a new map, River Valley, which won't have any human shelters in it whatsoever. So it will be the ultimate survivalist uh, challenge. A bear spear weapon, which I imagine you can utilize if a bear charges you. And bioluminescent moss, among other things, inside of caves. And so I'm actually looking forward to getting back into this game. It's a great summer game when you're uh, dealing with the intense heat outdoors, you can go to the frigid wilderness and watch a digital version of yourself freeze to death. <laughs> so have they implemented the Leo DiCaprio mode yet where you uh, can become the like the, the alpha the male in a wolf pack? Wait, does he do that? What movie does he do that in? Doesn't he do that in the gray? Titanic? Oh, that's Liam oh, Neeson. Oh, wait, that's I Leo think. Neeson. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so does it have that mode in? Can you become <laughs> the wolf pack? 
the lone wolf pack. I don't think so. You can references. you can mess with um you can mess with wolf aggression settings. So you could make them afraid of you, but I don't think you're going to negotiate any sort of teamwork with the wolves at any point in time. Okay, so so is the wolf aggression slider like at 100% they just seek you out and at 0% they're or at 0 they're scared That's, of you and avoid you? That is the one thing I will say is all of these things are toggles from sometimes very low or low at the minimum to high or very high at the maximum or on and off. And so there are no sliders, which that, means... Mm. Yeah, that's how a, do you feel about that? That's a shame because if you could go into the negatives, I bet they would give you food. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll make sure to uh, contact Hinterland about that because I think that's a really good idea. Ma- it's maybe more there's realistic. A command. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's, Once you beat up a couple wolves with your glass knuckles, <laughs> you know, they, they kind of they respect you for that. Yeah, I, I mean... I think that the Disney princess vibe is still probably more likely than the um, like heat-seeking wolves from earlier in uh, my experience of the game, where they somehow can detect you from across the map and just with laser beam focus chase you down to wherever you're standing. But... Um, that's about it for the long dark. It's quite a bit to say about a game that has been released and horribly disappointed me. Seeing a lot of these patches and fixes, I'm hoping that it's Hinterland really responding to feedback and uh, intending to be very engaged with their uh, customers and consumers of the game. Or, I mean, even if it is that they're just trying to uh, up their sales because they released a really shitty game at launch. That's fine too, as long as they're fixing it because they did have a special product before they released it ultimately. And it's the only reason I'm not giving them the uh, no man's sky treatment in which it doesn't matter how good they make that game. I'm not hopping on just because of the horrible release that that had. I would be really curious to see how you felt about Subnautica's storyline uh i won't go into details on it but i've i have been playing more of that game and aside from my terrible fear of the uh of the deep sea the the plot is like just light enough but still present and i i guess i guess it's like meaningful without imposing itself on you but at the same time i wonder because there are like uh story less modes available for subnautica i i kind of wonder if most people like of your caliber when it comes to playing survival games would just opt for that immediately i'm totally for a story mode it just can't be really bad like it was in the long dark if i have the option to play a game with or without story i'm going to choose with story until it gives me a very good reason to not do that. Unfortunately, with games like The Long Dark, and I think with Subnautica, right, the story was developed after the sandbox portions of the game were fleshed out enough for people to play. And so you do get, I think I get into a bit of a rut in which I'm very comfortable and familiar with playing the game as kind of a sandbox and I approach it in any way I like and having a story giving me guidance and direction 
if it's not particularly effective or good as a uh, motivating narrative, why would I have it when I can motivate myself in a multitude of other ways? I get you. Yeah. In the case of Subnautica, I think it's always been developed alongside the the game as a whole. I think you're right. But, um, which is good because if I were dropped into Subnautica with my fear of the deep, um, ultimately I'd be building a space program as as opposed to uh, (laughs) (laughs) delving deeper into the depths. The curious thing though that you brought up was when they were talking about making improvements to the story mode for the Long Dark. It was about making it more open. And I'm not sure if that is necessarily a guarantee to success for the story. I mean, I'm not going back to play it, so who knows how it will work out. You, you need to investigate, to man. You're our, our investigative journalist when it comes to all things The Long Dark. But no, actually, maybe you sh- really shouldn't, though, in, in real advice, because when you tell me something is going to be more open, it just makes me think, oh, okay, so it's going to be more like Oblivion. So you'll just... You, you will just ignore the story at that point, and you're effectively that, doing the same thing as not playing the story campaign to begin with. You're exactly right there. All right, any other thoughts on The Long Dark? What have you been playing, Cookie? Um, you know, some, some Nintendo games. There was this um, Pokemon Cube game that came out. It's a nice little sit-down, set-it-on, sit-down, set-it-on auto, and go it's a oh god what is that game called pokemon quest yeah pokemon quest i so i played a tiny bit of it too and uh what tiff told what tiff said to me which i would completely agree with is it feels like a mobile game it is a mobile game not yet at least but it will be soon but yeah it's it's kind of pointless trying to play it in like actual push button mode you can, but it's it's not really that intuitive. But no, it's pretty much a mobile game that came out on the Nintendo Switch before it came out on the um on all the phones and your OSs and things of that nature. But you start off with a Pokemon, a starter Pokemon that you get to choose between Pikachu, Eevee, and then the first gen starters. Because, you know, let's go explore Pikachu and let's go explore Eevee. I'm guessing that's why they're tying that in with yeah, that. Yeah, Pokemon Let's Go, Pikachu. Yeah. Eevee editions. And then from there, you get to go on little expeditions. And you're exploring this island with a kind of free-flowy combat system where you kind of just go through with your team of Pokemon so you can get up to three Pokemon that you can equip little sockets on to power gems to power them up and then you'll um go through oh gosh how do you explain this damn game it's it's weird so the pokemon will automatically run towards the nearest enemy and if you don't have it on auto mode usually to the left or the right of the pokemon's picture at the bottom of your screen you can select an attack to make that pokemon do and it's on a cooldown plus they're doing an auto attack and then there's like a scatter button. So if a Pokemon starts to attack your Pokemon, you can kind of scatter briefly and then pounce back on that wild Pokemon. But yeah, you um, collect Pokemon by luring them into your base camp with home-cooked meals. And then you go out and explore new areas to do something. I don't know. It's just a nice little, I'll have my Switch out by my desk at work and 
I'll turn it on auto so the Pokemon will automatically run away or do everything. They do it terribly, but they'll automatically do it, and I'll just I'll just let that go while I talk to clients. Been playing that, and this weekend, as Scott alluded to, Mario Tennis Aces. Yes. All I can say is fuck Rosalina. Or Rosalina, Rosal- whatever. Ro- Rosalina's my number one girl, Cookie. Oh, she's... She's great. I think Mario is, for anybody who's played Mario Tennis 64, Mario is about the only character that feels like every character in Mario Tennis 64. Um, So he's very easy to pick up, but man, Rosalina is a beast in that game. Her control is too much. Too much. Is it her handling is just very tight, or what exactly? Like when She's a tricky type player, so... Yeah, when you're going um, against her serve, if she's serving to the right, it's not going to make it to the back of the court. It's going to veer off. It's yeah, she has like halfway down. Awesome slice potential. It's awful. And so who's your favorite character to play if if you're uh anti-Rosalina? Um so I am between Spike and Waluigi. I really do like Spike. I only played him in a computer match, but he, he seems a lot of fun to play. And I do not recognize what he's from at all in the Mario uh, universe. I think he's the um, thing. He's the little green thing that sits on the cloud that throws up the spike balls that drop down. I thought that was Lakitu. I think Lakitu also does this. What does Spike do? But either way, yeah, I like to use him... But I have yet to win a tournament because it usually comes down to like, I've gotten to the grand finals, I've gotten to the finals once, and I usually get trashed at the semifinals. And it's usually a Rosaline, Rosalina at the semifinals because fuck her. Yeah, the you one- can definitely tell what the meta is, can't you, as you progress up the tournament? Because like, the champions, or not champions, the Mario characters that you play against get really um, concentrated at the tournament level. It's like Rosalina, Chain Chomp, Bowser. And that's about you know, I all have, I see for semifinals. I have yet to finals. fight a Bowser. Oh, really? Yeah, I have not fought a Bowser. Not a single one. Just to be clear, that, you guys are playing the single player offline tournaments, no? Or is online? This online? Okay, no, this is. It is online tournament only. That is the only way you play against other players. Have you mm-hmm. had any connectivity issues, Cookie? All the time. And yeah. I've, I've learned to not accept matches. Yeah, when I don't accept little... any match that's not at like the top two bars. Yep. It'll give you like a little... Um, just like if you're playing a fighting game, it'll give you the boost mobile signal, the bars of, oh yeah, how good is your connection going to be? So it's like, yep, no, this is going to be an awful connection. I don't want to play this person. So how does that work in a tournament, though? Because as you go up in the brackets, how do you choose not to play someone? So basically basically what it does is your first match, it matches you up with anybody else who's going to be on the first bracket. So then you you can play that first bracket and then just call it quits for a couple hours, come back, you're on your second match. It'll match you up with people like that as well. So it's exactly like a fighting game works, how a fighting game works of like, it's, it's just going to match you up against someone who's on that same bracket. 
and you can choose not to play that person. Okay. So you can be like, oh, I've got time to play a quick match. Oh, I don't have time to play a quick match. As soon as it matches up, somebody hit B, and they'll go back into queue. You'll sit. How often have you had somebody with a good connection all of a sudden drop to the red like single bar and totally ruin your game? All not all the time, but most of the time, yeah, that'll happen. It's just it's like enough to have stopped me from winning some championships. It's enough to have stopped me from winning some games. Do you think it's out of malicious intent? Like we're talking Gears of War lag switch. You know, honestly, it could be because I encountered it a lot at the semifinals and the finals, and unfortunately, it's a perfect connection. It's a perfect connection. You get to the second match of the semifinals, and you're just stomping on a person, and then all of a sudden, their connection just goes awful. And then, like you, you hit left to go left, and your character goes, "Huh? Oh, left. Oh, am I in a match right now? Oh." It's yeah, gotten, it's very laggy. I've had it so bad where the person will serve, and I'm just furiously tapping any button just to hit the ball, not even trying to move. Character won't even hit a ball. Yep, I've been in the same spot. So unfortunately, the online connectivity of this has been pretty bad. When I have started playing uh, at the beginning of the tournament on the first, though, that's when I was doing my most successful because the connections were... Uh, I think at their best quality of that point in time. And that's when I won my first championship and made my most headway with the points. But at this point in time, it seems like the connectivity has gotten worse and worse. And so I'm probably not going to compete in the tournament today. I'm going to have to try so I can get to round two. But yeah, no, it's it's not good. And I will say the one time I did make it to finals, first match was Rosalina, second match was Rosalina, third match was Rosalina. I really would like to get matched against you just for, for the fun of getting to play a game online with a friend. But unfortunately, I'd be playing Rosalina for sure. It's okay, because I know I can counter Rosalina pretty good if the connection is okay. That's good. So it doesn't really seem like people, or it, Nintendo has ever really pushed that hard at the eSports thing. But is no. there any potential at that with Mario uh, Tennis Aces? God, if they had an esports league for this, I would be the first person to join it. I, w- I would, I'd be down for that. They would definitely need dedicated servers, so that way, yeah. you know, no more lag switching to compromise the match. How do you know if you're even going to be the host? Is the question because if you're not the host, lag switching's not going to do anything for you, aside from screw yourself over. Yeah, and I don't know how you tell. Because I don't feel like I ever was the host. I think I was a host on a couple of different ones. Like, I've had, like, an okay connection with somebody, but, like, the entire time I ran super smoothly. Yeah, was there ever a Mm -hmm. match you got into where you felt the other person was just not playing well as a result of lag on their end? Yeah. I've had one match of that where it's just like, oh, yeah, we've got full bars against each other. Let me go ahead and serve wasn't even like a crazy serve and the guy just didn't you even just move. him yeah i had a couple where i would get like red bars and so they'd have a really like their connection would be shit but my connection would also be shit and so i didn't feel so bad about it like for instance i'd be mashing the serve and then swing button and i'd ace them 
but I'd be mashing it because if I didn't hit them like consecutive, if I didn't just mash that button, I'd toss the ball up and then it would be back down. And then I'd toss the ball, but ball up and it'd be back down. So I thought we were both having really bad connection issues. But I can say those are, that's pretty much what I've been doing video game wise. You know, um, Call of Duty, they have their, oh yeah, Call of Duty had an announcement last week from the head of who does like the zombie modes saying something big's happening. So their big event has been going on all throughout last week. They are, they brought back Infected. So it's just been a week of undead things all over Call of Duty and doing just infected modes. Uh, the infected mode has changed drastically, and it doesn't feel quite as fun as it used to. But they have implemented some things that I do really like. Like, if you get kills, care packages will randomly drop throughout the match with just different things. So one will have, like, the V2 rocket. So a nuke to kill all the zombies. One will have the tripwire flamethrower, that type of thing. No real good places to hide, unfortunately, in this in this um in this iteration of Call of Duty. But you know, so we've me and Lizzie have been playing more Call of Duty as per usual. But you know, who wants to hear me talk about Call of Duty? What you been up to, Neil? Uh, so I've been playing a a bunch of different games. Um. Some I've already spoke about, or I've spoken of before, so I won't go there. Uh, and I've I've been been playing the 3DS version of Majora's Mask, or as they call it, Majora's Mask 3D. So, have you been playing the 3DS version, or have you been playing an emulated? Technically, version of an 3DS emulated version. version. And uh, we've talked off the podcast about some controller issues, and I've actually got gotten most of those fixed. Uh, those issues were a result of me using a pro, uh, a switch pro controller with, uh, a program that basically makes it recognized as an Xbox elite or an Xbox controller. I guess it doesn't matter whether it's elite or not. And there were some issues with the program itself that caused the controller to basically never register full uh, right movements, but once I got that figured out, everything controls perfectly fine now. I'm actually not going to go too far into that because I want to finish the game uh, before I really start to talk about like what I consider to be some major failings in Majora's Mask. I would say right now this is my least favorite Major or uh, Zelda game, like by far, and it's not. It has nothing to do with the concept because I think Majora's Mask is the most one of the most interesting games in the series. It's just a matter of poor execution. But we'll talk about that a little later or maybe in a week or two. Cool. Another game I've been playing, which I would actually rather... Oh, and by the way, I don't condone piracy or anything like that, blah, blah, blah. We actually do own... Uh, Majora's Mask 3D, but when I'm trying to play it with my girlfriend, like we've been playing through a bunch of the Zelda games, uh, it's incredibly hard to appreciate that if you have to look over someone's shoulder. So putting them on a computer screen allows us for a uh, 
a much more like enjoyable uh, experience for the both of us. Aside from that and the debilitating allergies I'm experiencing, I played Fire Emblem Fates, and boy, I've got a few strong opinions about that game. Uh, I, I could be wrong, but I think we talked about it a bit before when you were playing it. Am I right, Scott? Yeah, I, I believe we spoke about it somewhat. Um, I don't know if we spoke at the time about Just Conquest, which is the version I bought, but I ended up playing Birthright later. I didn't play it all the way till the end, which is fine, because Birthright, I felt, was a weaker game than Conquest. But um, I do have more experience to share. It's it's really interesting because we we picked up Conquest like a Christmas or two ago, but never really got around to it. Uh, ju- just as the quick aside, Fates is technically three separate games, or you can view it as one core game and two DLCs. The the Conquest or Birthright games you can buy physical copies of. And then you can buy a DLC for the other one. And then a third pack or storyline is called Revelations, which, to my knowledge, outside of like a special edition, you can't just buy that by itself. That is like, yeah, that is DLC so. only. But it, I, having not played Revelations, but my sister has, it sounds like Revelations is probably the, like, it, it is essentially the third and more, I guess, flexible or neutral path within the storyline and so maybe it's the most canon of the three that that's what i took from it too it is the canon like the oh it feels like i have to make sacrifices on conquest or birthright but this is the one that you know basically lets you be kira the from happy gundam ending seed game. like yeah. the i can do anything and you will bend to my will thing because i'm the best yeah now like it wasn't a problem for us because I think we, like Tiffany and I, had both more or less agreed that we were going to play through each uh, each of the storylines. Whether like one of us was going to play Conquest, one of us was going to play Birthright, uh, and I would ultimately want to play Revelations as well. So we were going to buy them regardless. But I find the whole practice between. Uh, selling your game as two separate copies like a, a red and blue except what you don't realize a red and blue for pokemon except if you don't you, you don't realize or it's not told to you up front that blue is going to actually be you sympathizing with team rocket the whole time oh no i was going to say that between red and blue blue has you starting as the elite four <laughs> and red has you starting in pallet town yeah i mean you're right because the the games have some very very significant uh systematic changes like birthright is fire emblem light whereas yeah. conquest i i played a little bit of conquest and that feels more like uh it feels more like, like a fire emblem game i think and, and specifically like the old school fire emblem games that i'm more familiar with like fire emblem 5 or that's uh thracia 776 okay uh, and and when I compare Fire Emblem Fates to to those old school Fire Emblem games, like I do see a lot of good elements to Fates. Uh, for instance, I, I feel like the games focus more on character development and the story around the characters, which works out well because the character designs are also better in these newer games. 
Yeah, I and, think Fire Emblem has always done great characters, and they continue to do it with these games. On on the flip side, though, like there's, I just if when you're playing the game, like the initial chapters, which are shared between the three branches, I just find it really hard for anyone to actually want to play Conquest when the game keeps shoving reasons why Birthright is like the more noble path. It's like, hey, guess what? You were abducted when you were a kid. I mean, slight spoilers, but it's within the first like five chapters. And uh, by the way, your adopted dad, the king of this country, also does horrible shit. He's evil. Yeah, he's evil as fuck. Not to mention, like, just to drive home the point, we even have him voiced by like, the stereotypical fat evil dude like yeah <laughs> literally everything is stacked up all of your siblings on the evil kingdom side are like all stereotypically evil in their own ways and they turn like they immediately turn in that evil way as soon as you double cross them and go on the quote-unquote good side which by the way happens to be like the japanese culture from a japanese game Dude, it's Japanese versus uh, like European conquest. That is absolutely the narrative that they they have in the games, and so you're either choosing to be like the colonialists or the natives, and uh, that's what makes I think conquest just a a harder pick in general for people on the outset. Like you're obviously choosing to be the bad guys in it. And, and so I was hoping that like if you chose conquest, it would be more along the lines of like. Yeah, I recognize my dad's evil, but I need to, like, you know, I can't abandon my siblings. I, I don't know if that's the case, but I'm assuming that's that, the case. And if it's not... That is like, more or okay. less it. And it's hard for them to tell a more... I, I should say it's not hard for them. They had a hard time telling a more nuanced story or reason than that. It's essentially like, but I like my siblings and, you know, we can bring peace to this war by just dominating the other side really well you know civ logic just calm down let me suffocate you with this pillow it'll be much easier for us okay (laughs) yeah you'll suffer less um but the level the level design and the maps and the difficulty on conquest is so much better like unfortunately it's almost like you have to take the what is obviously the wrong position in this conflict in order to enjoy the game elements of it more, but it makes the story a little bit harder to sympathize with. Meanwhile, when I played Birthright, Birthright, I didn't find the maps or levels nearly as fun. The characters were just as good. I enjoyed characters from both sides. There is something that is really entertaining about having units that are like I guess more aligned, like more malignantly aligned with their personality types. But um, Birthright's gameplay was not so great, but its story made a lot more sense from a hero character's perspective. Especially how you can date all of your siblings. That's my favorite part, Scott. Such bullshit. Oh my God. When I picked up this game, when I picked up this game, I was so frustrated and upset by a your your adopt like your adopted family um in conquest it is just the smallest borderline that they're trying to operate on this like incestual dating and it's 
very upsetting, but at some point you're just like, well, whatever. These these folks are not related in any way, but you go to the birthright side and it's like, oh yeah, you actually have all the romantic options for your other siblings as well. And they're your blood relatives. And when they I see think, you, yeah, it's like, you, you can tell the sexual relatives. tension in the room just jumps through the roof at that point. Like your little sister, Sakura, uh, Sakura is like blushing every time you talk to her. Great. It's and, and so just like, gross. And, and there's a system where you invite characters to your room and apparently the american version uh or the localized version we have is actually censored quite a bit but in the original version what you would do after inviting characters to your room and it could be male or female uh, by the way the protagonist can be male or female as well and there yeah. is uh there are uh bi characters in each gender so there's a bisexual mm-hmm. male and a bisexual female so it's like i'm, I'm not like I don't know. That that's at least being like somewhat inclusive. Um, but when you invite characters into your room, what you apparently could do in the original non-localized version is pet them for bonus affection points. Ugh. Pet them using the touch screen. So as it is now in the localized version, all it is all it's been reduced to is a very short cutscene where the character says something which seems to always play back. Uh, it's always the same. It's like, thanks for inviting me to your room. <laughs> yeah. And during that small duration of time, you can like look up and down. And you start at the head. So the only direction you can do is look down and look down. at their chest. Yeah. You, you essentially pan against the highly detailed <laughs> character model. Yeah. And it is so disappointing like it's it's just such a dumb thing like when i realized that you could do that i was very upset yeah i'm glad that they took out the petting but honestly just take out the like looking at the highly detailed character model for me i understand that there may be some people who enjoy fire emblem for that element i just never like fire emblem is a game that is very strong about the interpersonal relationships that you have with your soldiers but I never really bothered with those interpersonal relationships having to be romantic. Well, so so you say it like it's been part of the series, but really it's... It's pretty new since Awakening. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it was never part of it in like 4 and 5. The, the only thing in 4 was that you could get you could get marriages, but that's because 4 relied a lot on uh, the generation gap. Or yeah, the generation time skip. So, like, I, I know an awakening, and I'm assuming it's going to be something similar in this game. There is some magic that happens that allows you to play as your your they've offspring just, at the same. They've time, just further right? implemented this uh, metaverse theory. Like they they introduce the metaverse in uh, Awakening, mm-hmm. and they pretty much utilize it again in the Fates games. And I like I like having. Um, your units interact with one another and have like unlocking essentially another unit that is a combination of their two skill sets. Like I really love it from a tactical perspective. I just think that with the main character, um, it gets a little too dating simmy for me. And I, I just don't happen to find that a part of the game that I really enjoy, but it's, it's fine. Just take out the Nintendogs petting in your room. Get the heavy <laughs> petting out of your room, and that's that's going to make it better. Also, get get out the uh, familial love. Yeah. 
I felt yeah, it don't was love your very... family. Utilize your family as a uh, resource, and that's it. It was really tastefully done in four because it was such a. It, it felt initially like such a side note, like oh, there's like a partner stat for mm-hmm. for your characters, which there's really never any explanation. And I, I, I mean, think I... they kind of designed it to be like very. Uh, I, I guess, at, like, not hidden per se, because it's there in your main stat line, but you never really know what it's meant to be aside from, oh, you know, they get bonuses when they fight next to each other. Yeah. But in 4, the, the whole the whole twist in 4 is that you end up playing as the second generation, and on uh-huh. a greater level, your parents basically determine whether you're second generation or shit or <laughs> good amazing, yeah. yeah. And some of the canon quote unquote pairs or like the pairings that seem to be the most obvious from uh, for story implications turn out to be really strong as well. The most yeah valuable combos. You can find so some weird combos in the uh, like you can take two units that shouldn't uh, mesh well together and end up with a really great unit. But that is true that they make it they make it reasonable. Uh, to have two units that are similar to one another kind of feed into and synergize with that, uh, I guess, second generation outcome. Yeah. I thought it, Awakening did... Um, I thought they did that element really tastefully as well because there wasn't any incest, Neil. That's that's a low bar to overcome. <laughs> There's just... Yeah. Seems fun enough so far, though. It's a pretty lighthearted experience as a whole. Yeah, and char- the characters are, are great fun. I will say that uh, Conquest, I enjoyed those characters more because they do just sort of have a darker side to them in general. There's you also a- kind of want to be pampered by that older sister type character, right? Dude, Camilla is one of the best <laughs> units, so unfortunately you do have to have a good relationship with her. She is... Oh my god, she's so good. I love Wyvern units in Fire Emblem games. Hands down, one of my favorite units to utilize. Um, my my heart goes out to the sadistic uh, Cavalier Perry, who is sometimes the best unit and sometimes the worst unit. And I don't understand why she has such weird stats whenever I play the game over again. Yeah, I really that's a, wish that's a good closer. I, I really wish someone would just make a Fire Emblem game that was focused way more on like a mature storyline and was difficult. I guess. What I mean, the first GameCube I thought was really good about that Path of Radiance. I think Path of Radiance with Ike that was so good. Not not enough like political strife for me. Yeah, what what are you talking about? Actually, no. Let's let's go back too, to that. too much shonen. I want I want like Final Fantasy Tactics levels of story. Like okay. the church is evil. Uh, I mean, it, it's not it's not like it has to have anti-Catholicism things. But the FFG church had happened. like a really fucking rich storyline that spanned across several years, not years of gameplay. But it, it got it was super interesting in a way that like the story is presented to you as a hey you know this king is so great but all right I, I'm not gonna do a 
I'm I doing a say. disservice to the story, but it, the the idea behind FFT is that you basically are told the fake history and then you play the game to figure and out what happens. History. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say Path of Radiance, though. The church is evil in the Benignan yes. Empire. You deal with um, a lot of like undertones between racism between these countries, which is was, I thought, a very progressive topic for me to be playing in middle school. And um, when Radiant Dawn comes up, you deal with the consequences of like occupation and subjugation of a nation in the same way that like Germany felt the hurt after World War One. It's I think they actually tackle a lot of like cool political concepts and topics between those two games, even though Radiant I, Dawn wasn't a particularly fun game. Um, I might have to pick those up. I wonder if. Uh... If they're available, like you can play Wii games on the Wii U, right? I yeah, I'm almost certain of it. Uh, I will also say that Radiant. Uh, I think the graphics are not so hot though when you do that, but I'm not a hundred percent on that. Um, I will say that Radiant Dawn was also a relatively difficult game for some sections. There's essentially portions of the game in which you're playing during like the first act as a ragtag rebel group. And then maybe it's the second or third act. You get to play as Ike and Ike is literally like a physical God by that point in time in the game, which is great. I mean, it's great fan service for anybody who enjoyed uh path of radiance. Yeah. Oh my God. I have a crush on Ike. Just every game he's in. He was great in South Park, too. <laughs> oh, I mean, he's one of my favorite uh, Smash Bros. characters. Like, I can't... I like Ike. <laughs> well, I think that concludes the games I've played. Do we have any other things we want to go over before we talk about what has been happening in the gaming world? I'm ready for the news. What has been happening in the gaming world? Oh, wait. <laughs> well, last Wednesday, Bethesda released a teaser for Fallout 76, which, by the way, if you happen to catch their uh, live stream hype meter buildup or whatever you want to call it, it was just basically a stay tuned screen using like your Fallout aesthetic, like old tube. That television view. set. Yeah, the cathode ray. Uh, Fallout 76 seems to be the next game in the Fallout universe. We have actually gotten some uh, some rumors. I think Polygon was the one that uh, spoke of it first, but apparently Fallout 76 is apparently going to be a multiplayer online uh, survival game. So Elder Scrolls Online. There were also some rumors that it might be something more akin to a uh, battle royale mode i don't know how like <laughs> how reasonable those rumors are though fallout probably. battle royale sounds horrible but i'd still probably give it a shot just to see how it goes <laughs> i mean do you, like e3 which i i have like vowed not to talk about e3 until it's happened and occurred uh E3 is around the corner, so who knows what's going to actually be announced. But am I not the only person that is just kind of saddened by the fact that we hear more about another Fallout game, especially after Fallout 4 being the disappointment, at least to me, 
uh, that it was and not about an Elder Scrolls game. I don't know how to feel about it because Skyrim, for how much it's loved, was not a game that I enjoyed. And I've said plenty on the topic in the podcast before. So I both have a lot of enthusiasm for a new Elder Scrolls game to see, see a game that has, I think, a better locale than Skyrim and a better uh, actual, like not only a better aesthetic, but a, a better system within the game as well. But at the same time, because I didn't enjoy that game very much, I feel like I'm now taking a very uh, greater wait and see approach to those games. Like I bought, I bought Skyrim at midnight on on release, and I did the same with Fallout Four, and I probably won't do that with the Fall. I mean, I won't probably play Fallout seventy six, and not hearing about an Elder Scrolls game is okay for me because I am not hyped anymore, Neil. It's just that, like by nature, I would be. So, you, so you both Fallout and Elder Scrolls are like have have been disappointments for me, and I think it hap- It started with Oblivion, where like Morrowind was like revolutionary in a lot of ways, and Oblivion kind of took a few steps back from that revolutionary standpoint of game uh, game design, but it was like a more solid functional game but it still had like the Bethesda jank to it. I was going to say I, I think more Morrowind was like the super revolutionary one. Yeah, and isn't then that what everyone I said? yeah, and then everyone heard about Morrowind, but by that time it was Oblivion's turn. And Oblivion was the thing that put it in the mainstream. Right. Yeah, but, it definitely but for made someone it that accessible. played Morrowind beforehand and then played Oblivion, it was there was a level of jank that made Morrowind more impressive, I guess. Like exploiting your ability to jump at, to great heights to more or less be able to fly and jump into towns, whereas technically that's not possible in Oblivion or Skyrim because those are separately rendered maps. Right. I think Skyrim had them rendered. No. Yeah, you still had to go through the town gate, and then you know the town which Loading was green. The town which could not have been more than two acres before is now five acres. That sort of thing. Um, which I mean, you know, every game does that. Subnautica does that, by the way, which is interesting to me. Hmm. Um, yeah, where like you build a uh, when you're building your base, it as soon as you go into your base, you suddenly realize that my base is bigger than it was <laughs> when I was outside of it. But it's done tastefully in a way that doesn't feel too like exaggerated. Uh, anywho, though, um, like both series have disappointed me. To the point where, like, I would say Skyrim and Fallout 4 both felt like games. I, I like, I wanted to really like. There were certain elements I appreciated in Fallout 4, like trying to focus more on a narrative. And I think Skyrim, on the other hand, maybe didn't have any upside to it once I got a couple hours in. But yeah. there's still the element of it being a middle ages slash medieval swords and magic type game which i'm more interested in i'm more interested in killing the skeleton and getting the sweet sword than i am shooting the mutant and getting a sweet gun me and you both and and the different locations in the elder scrolls universe or world i think are more interesting than post-apocalyptic america because like we we've gotten two visions of it now. We've gotten the wastelands, and we've gotten the this place hasn't directly been nuked. Like, what else are we gonna see? 
there is yeah there is a, a lack of variability that's ultimately available for fallout when it comes to their location building and unfortunately i think that is definitely that's a good point as to why the elder scrolls are more exciting when you see the release of a new game because it does it does leave a lot more open for world building within that kind of fantasy universe but until i can customize a sword like i can customize a gun and fallout 4 that is one of the things that keeps me leaning further to the fallout side but obviously not excited enough for 76 to pick it up without giving it a lot of scrutiny i'm curious if you're right in saying like i, I don't know if this was a serious remark or not but that fallout 76 is basically eso except fallout that is what I'm betting until I see otherwise. That's actually a good bet. Um, not to completely derail the subject from video games, but Fully Cooly Progressive aired last night. Which is that? Like the second season? season? I thought it was the third. It's Fully Cooly, Fully Cooly Alternative, Fully Cooly Progressive. And I haven't seen Alternative, so. There's an Alternative? Yeah, I only found out about this recently, and I was like, what? I've been missing out on a continuation. See, of- I, I thought I heard something along the lines of Adult Swim, or not just Adult Swim, maybe, but they, they aired essentially the third season before the second season. Oh. I, but I don't know. It's like, I, in concept, I don't understand I'm really Fooly curious Cooly about Fooly Cooly, but not enough to actually go out of my way to digest it i guess or i love fully cool review i really liked season one but i kind of don't feel as much of a desire to go after the the other two unless i can get them on Crunchyroll, then i just would yeah maybe i want to say there's yeah there's only still like the six episodes on like uh crunchy roll slash funimation oh no funimation has them on what you call it hulu um Verve or VRV? Yeah. Yeah, VRV. Yeah, Funimation has it both dubbed and subbed on VRV. I mean, I I don't see myself watching it until I finish Hina Matsuri. Is how I would put it. Which, like you you guys should really watch it. I I hope I'm not like overhyping it, but it I I enjoyed the first episode. I will probably watch more. I just haven't yet because i also need to catch up on megalobox another show in relevance to fully cooly that has great soundtrack indeed indeed i'm just kind of keeping up on all of these all at once it's hard work neil hard, hard so work keeping we talked we talked a bit about po- uh pokemon quest and it's uh with its creation being possibly uh some a prelude if you will not so much a narrative but Mm -hmm. uh in anticipation to the confirmed pokemon switch games pokemon let's go eevee and pikachu question first question right off the bat eevee or pikachu eevee yeah i'm probably going eevee because you at least no i don't know because at least according to the docket here, it says you cannot evolve the starting Pokemon, right? That's right. You can't evolve Eevee or Pikachu. And when That's I found confirmed. That, and when I found that out, um, I read it on an article from, I believe, Polygon that you won't be able to evolve your starter Pokemon, uh, which is canon with the yellow version, which also wouldn't let you evolve Pikachu. It makes because Ash Pikachu, is a terrible trainer. 
it, it yeah it makes pikachu the more viable option as at least having a, t- a type to it versus having a normal type eevee the whole way through normal types in that game just aren't aren't great so I had read that this was apparently going to be a re-envisioning or like a recreation of Pokemon Yellow. Is that accurate? Yes, that's what I understand. Because it'll still have that Team Rocket narrative to it that Yellow had that the other two games I don't think did as much. Okay, Game Informer is the one who reported that Eevee and Pikachu, your starter Eevee and Pikachu will not be able to evolve. However, you will still be able to acquire Flareon, Jolteon, Vaporeon, and Raichu through other means in the game, which probably means just it, ca- catching a different Pikachu. And I don't think you could ever catch Eevee in the wild, so they may put them in, or you get an Eevee. Wait, I thought, you, I thought it was the opposite. You can't catch a Pikachu in the wild, but you could catch an Eevee. In you yellow version, Pikachu you couldn't the... catch oh, either. You got both of them as like Pokeballs from other trainers. Hmm. Man, Pokemon. I mean, it's exciting to see them working on a Pokemon game for the Switch at all. That's not Pokemon Quest. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of disappointed it's not its own brand new thing, I will say. They will have a their they will have a new Switch game, I believe, releasing in twenty nineteen, like late twenty nineteen of the Who newest says we even generation. make it that far, man? The world is... Uh, <laughs> we're in turbulent times right now, Scott. But if we do make it that far, we are rewarded with another generation of Pokemon. And on really, the Switch. So I'm, I'm looking... Go ahead. That's really the only thing keeping our world leaders uh, in like this fragile state of peace. When Kim Jong-un heard the news, he was like, okay, guys, we need to, we need to cooperate. Yeah, we should, we should chill out for a second. Uh, let's hope it's not a bust. That could mean the end of the world. <laughs> Actually, talking about uh, combat- combative interactions, we uh, do have another awesome segue here into uh, PUBG Corps filed a lawsuit against Epic for copyright infringement after months of speculation and dirt kicking. They're, and they're it's funny because I was going to make the allusion it. to it being a bust. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so wow. I, I will know um, since I'm not on my laptop right now, I might be working on some uh, some aged news. <clears throat> but when I heard when I had read about this lawsuit, it was specifically pertaining. It, oh, it takes place in Korea, by the way, uh, given that PUBG Corp is a Korean based company. Epic is an American based company, if I'm not mistaken. Uh the lawsuit is specifically over copyright infringement over UI and weapon design. Interesting. I can I can maybe understand the weapon design. Like I, I don't really know enough about PUBG and Fortnite, but the UI thing seems kind of flimsy to me. How do you how do you argue that the the basic UI elements in a first person shooter are like are a copyright infringement when so many other games have you know put mini maps here or when your health game, indications and equipment and similar maps before when your game is ultimately a spin off of a bunch of other modifications on other games or like you're a, you're you're a copy of a copy of a copy 
I think that does make it very hard to say no, but the line, the buck stops here. <laughs> you know, I, I think that because this is the uh, deviation of like Arma mods and DayZ and then what is it? Uh, H1Z1, King of the Kill, and then finally PUBG. Being able to present to a court that, you know, you have this very obvious chain of um, inspiration, it's, I think it makes the case harder to really punish Fortnite for that. But we'll see. I'm, it, not, I'm not a very good lawyer. Um, I haven't passed my bar exam. I don't practice law whatsoever. And ultimately, I only started being one for the last like 30 seconds of this podcast to make that argument. One day, but I my hope future the is three bright. of us pass our bar. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think I, it'll be difficult. I'm similarly cynical and uh, pessimistic. I, I guess I don't have pessimism about it, but I, I just, I don't know. It, judging by past rulings in American courts, it seems like this holds very little uh, weight. Yeah, at all. Granted, this is a Korean court, so I don't know if that means anything different. But I mean, when similar things like this happened before, like it's not like was it Capcom that had placed lawsuits against basically Pac-Man clones? Oh, I was wondering if it was going to be uh, the historical lawsuit of Marvel versus Capcom 2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. You know what? I think I'm wrong. I think it was actually Street Fighter, uh, Capcom with Street Fighter. Uh-huh. They uh, they were trying to sue, or they sued, I guess you, you could say, uh, the company that made uh, History of Fighters. Is that a game? History of Fighters. King, King of, of Fighters? fighters? N- not King of Fighters. It, w- it was before. It was like not long after Street Fighter 2 came out. Your dog is dying right now, and we're just sitting here listening to his death howls. He is. He is not. Ollie, I'm uh, on my way, buddy. Hold out 20-something hours. History. Fighters history. Thank you. Yeah. So, like, similar cases have come up in this in the past uh, pertaining to specifically, like, the type of game, which if, if, or if, excuse me, if PUBG Corp was trying to tie in, like, the elements of the game into the UI, I, I don't see the validity in that because, as you put it, like, the dude that made this game came up with the concept, made a mod for Arma before this. Like, how? How does this? I don't know. The state that like PUBG in is is at a hole right now. I I feel like they would be better off working. Not to say that they aren't, but personalizing PUBG in a way that makes it more than just Unity assets. Right. It's doing better than H one Z one at least. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Fortnite's really recognizable because everything is poppy, poppy, and also original. Not not to say like the concepts they do are original, but the artwork, the character designs, the kind of way everything kind of flows yeah. is much 
more unique. If you saw a screenshot without UI, without anything of PUBG, you wouldn't know if it was an Arma mod or if it was Arma or H1Z1. It's indistinguishable. If you see a screenshot of Fortnite and you're completely uninformed, you're either going to think it's Fortnite or or maybe Overwatch. Oh. oh yes, yes, that too. But but like still very individualized and very unique looking. If you saw a screenshot of Fighters History, you would wouldn't know that it's Fighters History. You would definitely <laughs> think it's Street Fighter. Yeah, yeah. Fighters History is very very close. I mean, straight down to like the fact that there's a fucking Guile clone in there. Yep, there's a lot of clones in here. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Uh, let me activate my phone again. There's something it, about a new Vegas new mod. Vegas but mod, yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a new Vegas mod, but it's going to be in California. Yeah. Um, new I, California. I, I feel like mm. it could have fit in with our uh, Fallout talk earlier, but if Fallout 76 isn't really tickling your fancy, October 23rd is the release date for the new Vegas mod that's been in development since like 2013. That is the prequel to New Vegas, New California. It's got 12 different endings, 16,000 lines of dialogue, and the voice acting in the trailer, at least, was very, very good. The downside is this has been in development since 2013. It looks like a game from 2013. And I'm assuming a mod like that may not be completely compatible with a lot of the like graphical overhaul mods that you'd otherwise use for a game that old. But it's an alternative for entertainment if people are really into Fallout and uh, they can't wait to get their... They also, I think, are starting a beta soon. So, so if is, you can't is wait one to of those 16 endings going to end up with the protagonist getting shot in the head and left out to die in the desert? All 12 end the same way. It's just what happens right before you're shot in the head. Do you take a bite of the sandwich? No. Is it your baby? No. Or yes. It was you the whole time. Yeah. That's all I've got for that. I had no other news. The one thing I was excited about was the Fooly Cooly. Oh, and the third. So this is the second season and the third season comes out this fall. Of Fooly Cooly. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Takun has a line in the first season of Fooly Cooly, which is just, what is Fooly Cooly? To doesn't, date, we still and it's don't. never know. answered, yeah. Yep, it doesn't matter if it's Fooly or Cooly. It doesn't matter if it's Fooly Cooly. It's a little this, it's a little Fooly, it's a little Cooly. I, I don't recall the, the exact lines. Emails, you can write in at podcast at fancyramen.com. And if you've been enjoying yourself, be don't be afraid to hit that like button. And after you do that, please tell a buddy, tell a friend that they should check out our podcast as well. And if you visit the channel, we have Oxen Free. Uh, a way out is finished, or no, it's going to have its stunning conclusion tomorrow. Who wins between Vincent and Leo? Wait, they fight? No. <laughs> I'm talking about the dart game <laughs> and arm wrestling and all those things. Uh, along with Detroit Become Human. Might be interesting. Hmm. Guys, I've had an excellent time recording this episode of Fancy Ramen.
Any words to close this episode off? This Anyone you want to say hi to? Bye. Yeah. All right. Bye.